chapter 2 today. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and be turning to chapter 2, but let me open our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are a God of love and faithfulness. Lord God, you have uh, done so much uh, for your people, both uh, for the nation of Israel, uh, which you took out of captivity and brought them to the land that you promised to give them, a land that was not theirs, uh, but a land that you gave. And uh, you fulfilled uh, your promises to them. Um, and yet, as we'll see today, uh, they turned away from you. Uh, you remember your covenant, but they forget. And how true is that of us as well, that you are a God of faithfulness, who out of your loving kindness sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, uh, to suffer a death he did not deserve, uh, but uh, the death that we deserved, uh, that he died for us. And uh, you've given his power and righteousness uh, to us uh, through your Holy Spirit. And yet uh, we too are prone to forget, uh, prone to trust and our own devices uh, to trust in the things of this world, uh, to turn aside from uh, our worthy God and pursue things that are worthless. Uh, Lord, uh, convict us of our sin and teach us this morning uh, through the words of the prophet Jeremiah. May the same spirit uh, that spoke to him speak to us. Uh, give us eyes to see uh, our own sin uh, in the sin of uh, the nation of Judah and uh, give us hearts of repentance. Help us not to be like them, uh, saying, we have not sinned. Uh, truly, Lord, we have all sinned and fallen short of what you've intended for us. And we all need uh, the grace and redemption that's found only in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we do ask uh, for that salvation, even as we uh, see your promises to save your people. Uh, teach us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so last week, uh, for those of you uh, who were here, I'll give a little, little brief recount. If you're just joining us to fill you in on what you missed in chapter one, that means you, Matthew Kerr. Um, so last week, we started our study of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, first, we spent some time examining the book's context um, and using the details that Jeremiah himself provides for us in verses one through three of chapter one. Um, you know, he tells us he's the son of a priest from Anathoth. He, he's prophesying to Judah during the reigns of its final kings, starting with Josiah and, and ending with the destruction of Jerusalem and um, the carrying away of Zedekiah. And if you uh, want a recap of the context, just go to 2 Kings, <laughs> start in chapter 22 and read to the end of 2 Kings. Um, so second, uh, we talked about uh, how Jeremiah is the most personal of all the prophets. Um, he gives us lots of details, um, not just about himself, but what it's like to experience being a prophet. And we'll see um, all, the, um, all the assaults on him mentally and physically throughout his life. We'll see him venting his frustration to God. Um, and we saw some of that, that personal side uh, last week when he gives us his description of his call by God. Uh, so God set, set Jeremiah apart as a prophet in his mother's womb. Um, 
So even before he was born, God had set him apart for this purpose. Uh, So even though Jeremiah pled his youth and his inability to speak, God declared his presence with Jeremiah and his power to put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. Uh, God made Jeremiah his prophet to the nations, equipped with the power, quote, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And then finally, last week, we talked about Jeremiah's first two visions, where God showed the young prophet familiar images that offered comfort to him while simultaneously prophesying doom for Judah. The picture of the almond branch demonstrated that it was God who was watching over his word and would see that it would be performed completely. And then the picture of the bowling pot tilting out of the north prophesied that God would bring the nations from that direction in total judgment on Judah for its worship of false gods. Uh, And then, again, we saw the comfort. Although Jerusalem's walls were to be broken down, God promised to put a wall around Jeremiah and to protect him from the opposition that he would face from Judah's religious and political leadership, as well as from the people of Judah themselves, including those from his own hometown. Uh, And if I had noticed my wife's hand raised last week, (laughs) she would have said, (laughs) if I had seen it and called on her, um, how that promise of God's uh, protection for us uh, as we face trials and sufferings and uh, enemies in this life, the same promise is given to Christian believers. So it's not just a promise for prophets, but it's a promise to us as well. Um, and anybody who wants to engage in couples therapy with us, that uh, would be great. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, she, she was very good-natured about it, but she said Jay was laughing in the back. <laughs> Jay saw her hand. <laughs> Jay saw her hand. I was oblivious. So, um, Okay. So uh, today in chapter 2, we'll see God's opening word of condemnation to his unfaithful people, who although they had experienced the love and provision of God, turned away from him in their pursuit of other gods and help from other nations. Um, And my favorite image, there are lots of images in this chapter, as uh, you'll hear as I read it. They traded in the true God for gods of their own making, rejecting the fount of living waters, for a broken cisterns of their own making that could hold no water. Um, and perhaps even worst of all, they denied any and all wrongdoing, protesting their innocence despite the clear and visible evidence of their wrongdoing. So the, in this chapter, the Lord concentrates on the sheer perversity of Judah's unfaithfulness. So with that as a word of recap and introduction, let me read uh, for us the entirety of chapter 2. Um, So, again, big chapter. We're not going to be able to get all the details, but I tried to break it up where hopefully we'll cover cover the, the entirety of the thing. So, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me 
and went after worthlessness and became worthless. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells, and I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where's the Lord? Those who'd handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophesied, prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care, see if there ever has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are, not, they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become a prey? The lions have roared against him. They have roared loudly. They have made his land a waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitant. Moreover, the men of Memphis and Tafpanhez have shaved the crown of your head. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now, what do you gain by going to Egypt or to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree you bowed down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and, mu and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the bales. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there, a wild donkey used to the wilderness, in her heat sniffing the wind, who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said it is hopeless, for I have loved foreigners, and after them I will go. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. 
But in the time of their trouble, they say, Arise and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. Why do you contend with me? You have, tra you have all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. In vain have I struck your children. They took no correction. Your own sword devoured your prophets like a ravening lion. And you, O generation, behold the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of thick darkness? Why then do my people say, we are free, we will come to you. We will come no more to you. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How well you direct your course to seek love, so that even to wicked women you have taught your ways. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. You did not find them breaking in, yet in spite of all these things, you say, I am innocent. Surely his anger has turned for me. Behold, I will, bring you, I will bring you to judgment for saying, I have not sinned. How much you go about changing your way, you shall be put to shame by Egypt, as you were put to shame by Assyria. From it, too, you will come away with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust, and you will not prosper by them. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. Um, so, chapter 2, uh, lots of people will look at it and say it presents itself as a covenant lawsuit. Um, so, notice the words like words in there like uh, charge, um, uh, contention, why do you contend with me? So, um, some people look at this as... as uh, kind of lawsuit, and if you look at those lawsuits, they often start with a, um, a, hist a history, like a, a, how did we get here? Like, so what is the history of the relationship that is now uh, in dispute? So as Jeremiah confronts Judah with its unfaithfulness, he begins with a portrait of God's relationship with Israel, so in, particularly in verses 1 through 8. So let's start there, looking at 1 through 8. So what images or metaphors does Jeremiah use to describe the past and the current relationship of God and his people? There are a lot. <laughs> this is a word picture salad. <laughs> it is, there are lots of word pictures, but let's focus on the early one. So one through eight, how, how is God presenting this picture of his relationship with his people. Yeah, a bride and marriage. And notice he's starting off with like the the you know the the marriage when it's you know Israel is faithfully following him in the wilderness, like dutifully being a wife, returning his love. So he's saying where we are now isn't the way it's always been. Um, I loved you, you reciprocated my love, and now something's happened. And they're charging God with forgetting him. Um, they're saying, you're not being faithful to us. And, and he's turning around and saying, no, you're the bride who has committed adultery against me. There are a lot of parallels here 
with um, how Hosea adopts the same image and even the same idea of the bride being brought through the wilderness. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, so he changes the metaphor. So he starts with a bride, but then he switches to this other metaphor. So, and the idea here is, is holiness, set apart. Um, Israel was holy to the Lord, sacred to the Lord, the first fruits of the harvest. So just as, you know, the, the, that first tenth of the harvest was supposed to be dedicated to God, it belonged to God, it was his possession, and it was wrong for anyone else but God to consume it. So Israel is God's precious possession, and it's wrong for anyone to, to try to consume what, what is holy. So all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So he's saying, all the nations who've attacked you, I myself have destroyed because you belong to me. You're sacred to me. Good. What else strikes you about the, the images? So those are the past ones. So he's starting back with this kind of, you know, remembering back, uh, you know, uh, honeymoon days. <laughs> um, and then verse 4, there's kind of a transition. And then now verse 5, uh, the honeymoon's over. <laughs> um, so so what's, what's Israel like now? So it once was, a loving bride. Um, it, it once was God's first fruits. What what's the state of of them now? Yeah, and they're worthless because they're following things that are worthless. Um, there's a great like they went after worthlessness and became worthless. Um, that's uh, my campus minister used to say: "You are what you worship." or you become what you worship. So if you worship empty things, you yourself, you know, you're not filling yourself, you know, you're being emptied. Um, I was trying to think of like, you know, um, when you eat empty calories that have no nutritional value, like, you know, that's what they're doing. Rather than um, you know, trusting in God and being filled with his glory, they're in pursuit of of worthless things, empty things is the idea there. Like, uh, and some people say it's hebel, um, which some people, it's a kind of word play on Baal. Um, so hebel, Baal, like they're following this worthless Baal and they themselves are becoming worthless because they're in pursuit of worthlessness. Yeah, David. Yeah, that, this is a problem of the people, and it's a problem of, of leadership. Like, and if you think of all these people that he's talking about, um, the shepherds, or the, the priests, did not, did not say, where's the Lord? So we see earlier, the people aren't saying, where's the Lord? So no one's inquiring after the Lord. Um, so the people are doing it in verse 6, but we see they're just following you know, the pattern set by their leaders, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. So these are the people who are supposed to know best. Uh, the shepherds transgressed against me. 
The prophets prophesied, they're doing what they're supposed to do, <laughs> but they're prophesying by Baal, not by the Lord Yahweh. Um, so this, it's a, the blame is universal. <laughs> no one can say I'm innocent. And notice how he comes back uh, to these leaders again in verse 26. Uh, they, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree, you are a, my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. So it like has this mocking depiction of these um, political and religious leaders of the nation setting the tone by worshiping things that are not God. You know, so they're leading it, Judah into worthlessness. Good. What else um, about the current state of Judah? Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, the idea of the way or the path shows up a lot in this, this chapter. And here, you know, he, God recounts a history of where he's led them through the wilderness, and they're not even, like, it's, they've forgotten that. Um, they're not saying, they did not say, where's the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness? So, again, as we think about, you know, God is remembering them in his loving faithfulness, his hesed. Um, and they are forgetting. Um, they, they have turned their back, as it says later. They've turned their back to me and not their face. I mean, again, there are lots of great word pictures in here, but, but that's the idea. Rather than you know, facing God and falling down and worship before them, they're turning their backs on the Lord God, um, who has brought them through the wilderness. Absolutely, yeah, and it's this idea of, and, and as we think of, you know, Deuteronomy warns them, like when you get in the land, you know, the land I've promised you, when I have delivered my promise and brought you into this land, your tendency is going to be to forget. Like, you, you get what you wanted. Um, you know, you've gotten the land, and again, notice how, you know, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So they're doing exactly what Deuteronomy predicted they would do. Like, they would get what they wanted, they would, you know, in their material prosperity, forget the Lord God who made them, and be led astray by the nations around them, 
Um, and especially with Baal worship, um, Baal worship is, is all wrapped up in the idea of making the earth fruitful. So they're turning to these other kinds of ritual practices to, to trust for prosperity rather than trusting in the God who brought them through the wilderness. And notice how like the contrast <laughs> that, that Jeremiah gives us here. Who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land where that none passes through, where no man dwells. Like, you know, so God has brought them out of this wasteland and brought them into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. And rather than being God's pleasant planting here, they have produced rotten fruit. Um, they have corrupted the land rather than being a blessing upon it. Good. Anything else you want to say about verses 1 through 8 before we shift on? Okay. Uh, so next, uh, we have what I've titled uh, Israel's uh, bad exchange. Um, so in verse 9, therefore I still contend with you. And again, contend there. That is um, legal kind of language. So you know, you should, you, we see that word come up in surviving uh, lawsuits, legal documents. Um, so what, what are the specific charges or contentions that God is making against Israel or Judah in this case in verses 9 through 13? So what have they done? What's, what's his main contention with them? Yeah, Landon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's saying, comparing them to the nations, like, other nations don't do this. Like, if they do anything, it's, it's addition. Like, okay, they've got good gods. We'll add them into the pantheon. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's this, this trade. Um, uh, you know, pe people have different reasons for, you know, why he mentions Cyprus and Qadar here. Uh, Cyprus, you know, obviously is an island uh, to their west. Uh, Qadar is a reference to um, the people who trade and inhabit the Arabian desert to the east. So, you know, it could be he's referencing them, you know, from the east to the west, <laughs> what nation has exchanged their gods. Um, one commentator, and I like this, this idea, both Cyprus and Qadar are traders. Um, so they're people who are used to being merchants. And so we end with this idea of exchange. Like, you know, like these, like they trade things all the time, but they're not going to trade, you know, the glory of God for something, you know, for this God who's not a God, <laughs> you know. So it's like this, um, you know, so from one to the other, like has a nation changed its gods or exchanged its gods, even though they are no gods. So like, you know. It's this idea, like, of how um, foolish this, this such a trade would be, um, but that's exactly what he's accusing them of. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the, the image here, like, and again, I love this image. Like, um, maybe one day Matthew will let me preach again, and <laughs> I might preach this passage because it's a, this great image of they have a living spring. Like, for the region of the world they lived in, like access to water and well, the drought we just been through <laughs> um, or are still in. You know, like, access to water is crucial to life. And so to have a spring, to have a source where your water is there and just springing up, you know, a perpetual fountain is, you can't imagine more of a blessing. Um, and they've taken that and exchanged it for a cistern they've made themselves. So a cistern, you know, catches rainwater, which one, doesn't always happen. Uh, um, so if you're not getting rain, you're not catching anything. Uh, two, um, cisterns also collect everything else <laughs> that's in the air. Uh, so soot, dust. <laughs> so, you know, so just trading a living spring for a cistern is, is a bad deal. Um, but here we have a, not only is it a cistern, but it's a cistern that, that's broken and doesn't hold any water at all. <laughs> so they've traded the thing that gives life, um, uh, you know, in the, its sweetest form for something that, you know, they've made of their own hands. You know, they themselves have constructed it. Uh, and it is, again, worthless. Like, you know, it's, it's this, like, how foolish. Like, and that's the idea. Anybody reading this would think, well, that's dumb. <laughs> like, why would you do that? <laughs> um, you know, it'd be like if I got rid of the bathroom in my house and I'm going to start bathing in that creek that flows in my backyard, which has water that we're not really sure where it comes from and often, like, is a color water should not be. <laughs> like, it's that kind of, like, like you, if I did that, my neighbors would think I'm crazy. Um, and but that is what God is contending that his people have done. They've exchanged the true God for these gods that are no God at all. They've exchanged, and notice he labels it a double evil. So it's one thing to forsake God, um, but it's another thing to both forsake God and to trust in the works of your own hands. Um, and that's the picture, you know, like they've rejected God and they've trusted in the work of their own hands. So it's a double evil, um, the prophet's saying here. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, like, just like we saw last week, you know, the way that, God starts him off with his first visions. Like, you know, there are things that, you know, like, it might take us a little work to get them because we're not part of that culture and context. But, but once we understand them, like, they, they are so clear and vivid. And it's, he's not just telling us things, he's showing us things. He's, and he's painting this picture. And we're about to get to <laughs> uh, metaphor upon metaphor upon metaphor <laughs> um, for what the people are are like. But um, but yeah, it's it's he's you know he's telling us 
well, what does it mean to exchange, you know, the true God for gods who are not gods? What would it be like if you exchanged a fountain of living waters <laughs> for a broken cistern? Like, you know, it's that kind of, you've traded something that is worthy for something that is worthless. Yeah, Jay? Yeah, and just like in any lawsuit, you need witnesses. And in this case, you know, the heavens are, are the witnesses. <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and like later we'll see the people saying, um, you know, <laughs> kind of like, what did I do? <laughs> I'm not unclean. I've not gone after the bales. And he's like, uh, look, <laughs> right over there. What are those smoking pots down in the valley? Like, <laughs> don't tell me. <laughs> it's like, you know, you come catch your kid, like, you know, like with flour all over the room, and they're covered with flour, and they're like, I didn't do it. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> the evidence is all around me. Um, you know, so he's calling on, like, it's so visible. Yeah, the heavens, you know, are, are the witness to this abomination that his people are doing. And it's like, you know, we fall into that same temptation. Like we think what we're doing do is hidden. Like, you know, or that, you know, because, you know, you don't see what's in my mind or what I did yesterday that, like, so it's out of sight, it's hidden. But, you know, God knows all, God sees all. And, I mean, this is just a reminder of, of the power of self-deception um, and how we can deceive ourselves about our own sinfulness. Um, but our sin is exposed and will be exposed, um, Jeremiah is telling us here. All right, good. Uh, let's see how we're doing on time. Wow, this class goes so fast. Um, all right, so... The next little section here in verses um, uh, 14 to 19, um, I don't have a question on these. I'll just say a little bit about them. So here it's the idea you have these, the kind of primary sin is their adultery uh, in terms of going after other gods. Um, so rather than being faithful to God, they've turned in pursuit of other gods. The kind of secondary aspect of that is they've turned, rather than turning to God for help, They've turned to other nations, um, Assyrians, Egyptians. And so, it, it, you know, he, he goes into, they are putting their hope in these other nations to save and deliver them rather than in God. And, and that has brought devastation to them. Like, you know, Jeremiah is prophesying, we talked about last week, right as the Assyrian empire is, is falling. But Assyria got involved in Judah's history, because Judah and Israel invited them in. <laughs> so, you know, they, they went to Assyria to, you know, uh, to get, a, you know, help from them, and then the Assyrians came in and despoiled them, and, you know, increasingly, increasingly, um, you know, exercised a heavy hand 
against uh, Israel and Judah. And so, you know, it's that kind of, they've brought shame and disaster upon themselves by not trusting in God and what God has told them to do and instead has trusted in these um, other nations to save and deliver them. Um, uh, trying to, I can't remember which mob movie it is, but like the guy goes to the mobster and is like, hey, can you come help me out? And the next thing you know, the mobster's taking over the guy's business and basically, you know, um, empties it of anything profitable and then burns it down and collects the insurance. <laughs> um, so it's that kind of idea, like they've gone to a wrong source for help uh, and it's brought disaster and destruction upon themselves. Uh, okay, so in verse 20, uh, he gets back uh, into pre presenting this series of uh, very unflattering word pictures um, that really kind of caricature the people's sinfulness. So in verses um, 20 through 28, what are some of the pictures we get of what the people were like? And, and what's the kind of overall message connecting all these different metaphors? And again, it's, he's, my, my, I would, if I wrote this way, it would drive my advisor nuts. <laughs> Peter would be like, stop mixing metaphors, stick with one. <laughs> um, no, Jeremiah's Pile them on. <laughs> the more, the merrier. Uh, so what picture, do, or what are the different uh, ways that God is saying the people of Judah are like? So for long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. <laughs> so this idea is like, God has freed and delivered them. Um, he broke that yoke of slavery uh, on them that rested on their shoulder, and yet they're saying, we will not serve. Um, even though they're serving all kind, every high hill under every green tree, they're bowing down to these, these idols, like, you know, high places, uh, valleys. These are places where shrines are, you know, again, um, Baal worship is intimately tied to, to nature. So they have, rather than serving the Lord who's freed them, they've turned aside to, you know, worship every, under every green tree. Good. What other ones do we see? Yeah, so here you have, I planted you a choice vine. Um, and it's actually uh, the, I, I wrote this down. I, I didn't know this. I wrote this down, though. So it, it's actually a very specific word in Hebrew. Um, the particular vine was a high-quality red grape grown in the Wadi al-Sahar between Jerusalem and the sea. So it's like, I have given you, like, when I planted you, you were the best, <laughs> the best there was. Um, and yet you degenerated. And um, uh, I like the, I, I've been listening to Jeremiah, on, on, but it's in the King James Version, so some things like are stuck in my head, King James. Dana's like, you really torture yourself and listen to this all the time? I'm like, yes. <laughs> the guy has, it's like, he's trying to be Charlton Heston. <laughs> like he's got that kind of voice um, and he talks that way. But anyway, uh, 
in the King James, um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, you know, an evil vine. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, I, you've gone from being the choicest, the best, to, to, to being, like, beyond bad. <laughs> like, you know, awful, awful, awful. Um, good. All right, so we've got, um, you know, this picture of a people who the yoke of slavery has been freed, but, and, but they're voluntarily serving all these false gods. We've got the picture of a choice vine that, um, just like we see in Isaiah, uses the same picture. Um, you know, the, the vineyard is, is, has become so bad it needs to be wiped clean. Um, yeah, Chris. Yeah, so, so lots of things there that, that Chris brought out. And there's this idea that's going to be throughout Jeremiah. Like, the, the people are, are basically saying, we're God's people, so therefore nothing bad is going to happen to us. We have the temple. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. We have a king of David on the throne. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. We've got the, we do the rituals. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. But they've... They're doing that while also saying, like, morally, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> um, because we, you know, we have these things that God has given us, we're licensed to, you know, we've got a free pass to do whatever we kind of morally um, uh, corrupt thing they can think of. Um, so... You know, there is this idea, like, you know, it's they've cleaned the outer part of the cup, but the inside of the cup is awful, <laughs> um, is, is despoiled. Um, and I love the, you know, the, to kind of work through these images, you know, you've got the little Lady Macbeth thing going on here. Like, you know, uh, all the washing in the world is, is not going to erase the blood guilt um, that they've incurred, like, you know, the inner guilt is still there. They might try to wash away, and later we'll see they're killing the prophets, uh, they're, they're killing the poor, uh, the guiltless poor. Um, you know, so we'll see blood um, in a couple of passages uh, later in this um, chapter. Um, but, but here the idea is, you know, they, they're washing themselves, and as you say, ceremonially washing themselves, um, to make the outside clean, but their hearts are guilt-stained, um, and no amount of washing is going to wash away that, that guilt they've incurred. Um, and then these next two, you know, you've got, um, uh, as, as Chris said, like, the, 
there's sex running throughout the, these next two animalistic images. So it's the idea of you know uh, a, a young camel and a, um, a donkey in heat, like like her lovers don't have to pursue her because she's going after them. Um, and it's that, uh, she's sniffing the wind, she's chasing them down. Um, and it is this picture of, um, you know, uh, let's see, I, I had a line, like, you know, in their persistence to do evil, um, you know, they're, they're just as a donkey in heat is like, you know, can't be stopped from going after the male, so they are so persistent and intent in going after false gods, which the worship of those false gods often involved sex. So it's, it's both part of the word image he's given, the donkey and heat, but that describes their own um, uh, sexual immorality um, in their participation in Baal worship in particular. So you know, the idea, you copulate with a temple prostitute and the gods well, you know, you're kind of symbolically copulating with the gods to populate the the earth with um, with with bounty in your harvest. So, sex was part of false worship, and so um, the idea that they're like a donkey in heat, um, and they are chasing down their sexual desires, no matter what stands in their way, um, that is. A, a very realistic picture of, of what they're doing. Um, they are in pursuit of gods of their own making through you know um, doing the things that God has expressly told them not to do. Um, in their infidelity, they're pers pursuing false gods through sexual immorality. And if that doesn't sound familiar to our current age, I don't know how to make applications. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, so again, it's this idea of where, you know, that sexuality is openly being practiced on all these hills and shrines, and they're devoting themselves to those things. Um, and, and, you know, it's pure lust for the things that are wrong. Yeah, and, and it's the way that, like, you know, uh, they are sin addicts, <laughs> Ad, addicts in, in that idea. Like, they, they're bent towards sin, um, and they, they need outside correction. That's what the law is supposed to do, but they, they don't remember the law. Um, they've forgotten the rules that God has given them to instruct their morality as they inhabit this land. Um, and so by forgetting what God has told them to do, you know, again, they're going through the empty rote motions of worshiping God while forgetting all the things that God has instructed them in how to act and behave in this land that he's given them. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, so, so here he goes to this, again, this picture of 
the leadership. Um, as a thief is shamed when caught, <laughs> uh, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. And why should they be ashamed? They, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, who say to a tree, you're my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. So it's this m mocking um, portrait of, of, um, of, of the worship that's going on. I'm, hold on, I gotta find. So the, um, the wood likely refers to the wooden pole of the Asherah, the female fertility deity, while stone probably points to the standing stone that was in form or at least in meaning associated with the male pagan Canaanite deity. Jeremiah is flipping them. So notice he's, he's addressing the wood as father and the stone as the one who's giving them birth because he's mocking them. Like, you know, he's saying like, you're attributing, you know, these, you know, to a tree, <laughs> uh, you know, so something made of wood to something made of stone, the characteristics of giving you birth, of being your father, like, uh, again, it's, 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 he's not just painting a picture, he's painting one of those caricatures where their worst features are, <laughs> are being prominently displayed and made clear and visible, um, and it's, you know, he's setting up a situation, here are your leaders, spiritual and political, how shameful, how embarrassing it is, you know, that they are bowing down to things made of wood and stone. Like, you know, it, it's, it's like, if it wasn't so serious, it would be funny. Um, you know, it's that kind of picture, like how utterly ridiculous uh, this looks like, um, you know, that they're attributing the works of their own hands with the power of having made them. You're absolutely right. So with Elijah, you know, confronting the, you know, priest of Baal, like, yeah, cut yourself more, scream louder, maybe he's on the toilet, <laughs> he'll be here in a second. Um, and it's that kind of like when you, and we see the prophets doing this all the time, like how ridiculous it is to worship the things that are made rather than working, worshiping the one who made all things, like, you know, and Again, we, we don't have the same problem with Baal worship or Asherahs or Molechs, but um, we do the same things. <laughs> um, you know, we, we worship sex or we worship um, ourselves to the extent that we're happy to dispose of, of unwanted children, um, just like they were um, sacrificing children to Molech. Like, you know, so we, we don't, don't be like the padding, well, at least I'm not like them. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> um, yes, you are. Um, it's just, it, it might take on a different guise, but we still do the same thing and worship the same things, which chief among their worship is material prosperity. Like, that's why they're worshiping Baal, because they want the earth to continue to be plentiful. And so that's what they're devoting themselves and how often is that what's shaping our daily lives? Like we devote ourselves to 
earthly prosperity and ignoring what the wisdom and teaching and knowledge of God in the pursuit of things rather than in pursuit of the glory revealed uh, in Jesus Christ. All right, I have time for maybe one last question. So the last part of the chapter, so as we, we're progressing in our covenant lawsuit, um, we're now getting down to uh, the judgment. Um, so what is the problem with God's people that ultimately brings them into judgment? And you see this particularly in, in verses 29 through 37. Um, so as we, we've seen this picture, uh, we, we've seen the charges laid out. Um, now we're getting into, okay, we're getting into the penalty phase <laughs> of our, our, our trial. Um, so what is it that ultimately is bringing them to condemnation and, and judgment? Okay, so, and, and you think about prophets, like, you know, their messenger, God has sent people to tell them the truth. Like, he sent people, you know, and what if they, they didn't want to hear it, so they killed them. Um, we'll see it in Jeremiah. <laughs> we see uh, Jehoiakim uh, kill a priest. I think it's in chapter 26. Um, we see an open discussion of, you know, all right, should we kill Jeremiah or not? <laughs> um, that's going to be openly discussed later in the book. Um, but why kill, you know, what does it mean to kill the prophets? Well, you're killing the people who are bringing God's message of truth to you to, to show you how you can be saved. Um, so, you know, the, the very people who are bringing the message of salvation and deliverance, they're killing them because they don't want to hear um, what they said, you know, what they're saying. They don't want to hear about their own wrongdoing. Uh, they want to keep doing what what they want to do, and they don't want to hear what God tells them they should do in order to live and to, you know, to, to stay in this land. Yeah, wait a minute. You say I am innocent. Surely his anger is turned from me. Um, behold, I will bring you to judgment for saying I have not sinned. <laughs> um, you know, their sin is, is clear and evident. Um, like, you know, you get that, that picture of where they say in, um, uh, oh, where is it? I lost it. Um, where they say, uh, verse 23, uh, how can you say I'm not unclean? I have not gone after the bales. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you've done. Like, <laughs> Like, how can you say you don't worship Baals when on every corner <laughs> there's an altar? Um, you know, here he says, as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. <laughs> like, um, every city has its god. Later on, he, 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 takes, he repeats the same image um, and, and takes it farther. As many sh streets you have, you have shrines and altars. Like, so it's the idea, like, their evidence of their false worship is everywhere. Um, but it's even worse is their lack of repentance um, and their self-deception in saying, I've not sinned. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. 
Um, you know, I, I haven't done any of the big ones. Um, <laughs> you know, and the outside of the cup is, has been cleaned. And so they think, yeah, we're pretty good. And it's the heart lacks repentance. Um, and that is, lack of repentance is ultimately what brings the judgment in its full force upon them. Um, Jeremiah, his message over and over again is turn. Um, turn is one of his, Jeremiah's favorite words. Uh, here we see it, they've turned their back to me and not their face. Um, so here he's using a turn in a negative sense. They've turned away from God. Um, and he, he uses turned away a lot. But what's the remedy to that? Turn around. <laughs> uh, turn to God. Return to God. Repent. Acknowledge your sin. Um, do what God commands. And that's how the city will be delivered. Don't, even though we know, and Jeremiah, when all this is written down, like, because he tells us in verse 1, um, till the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So he knows, you know, when the book is compiled, that this isn't going to turn out well. <laughs> um, but don't take that to mean that when Jeremiah calls the people to repentance, it's not a real offer. Um, like, he calls them again and again, and but here he's pointing out the fundamental flaw is they won't repent. Um, and part, you know, like people don't repent for all kinds of reasons. Uh, one, it's often they don't think of themselves in need of repentance, and that's what's here. You know, people don't think themselves, ah, you know, I've got everything I want. Why would I need a God? Um, that kind of um, attitude. Uh, it, you know, other times people are like, yeah, I need to repent, but I really like doing this, um, so I'm going to keep doing it. So that's kind of, you can have, um, you can have guilt without repentance. <laughs> guilt is usually part of repentance, uh, but guilt alone, <laughs> being sorry, uh, isn't repentance. Like, there are going to be lots of sorry people in hell um, that didn't repent. Like, they, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but I'm going to keep on doing it. Like, it's that kind of idea. Um, and here we have, like, I will bring you to judgment for saying I have not sinned. Um, and they're refusing to change their way. Um, they're refusing to repent. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, Jeremiah, and again, I talked about this last week, he, he, he's politically vilified because he's seen as being pro-Babylonian. Um, you know, that, that, you know, he, but he's pro-Babylonian because they're the instrument that God is using to judge his people, and he's trying to tell them, don't resist. Like, if you want the city to be saved, surrender. <laughs> Accept God's judging hand in the presence of the Babylonians. If you don't, you know, the judgment will be so much worse. Um, and they don't want to hear it. Like, oh no, the Egyptians, they'll help us. Uh, just like earlier, they thought, yeah, the Assyrians will help us against the Egyptians. <laughs> now they're like, the Egyptians will help us against the Babylonians. <laughs> and, and 
Jeremiah's like, just like the first option turned out to be really bad, why do you think the second option is going to turn out any better? Just as turning to the Assyrians brought shame and destruction to your land, so will turning to the Egyptians. Um, what they should do is be turning to God and what God is telling them to do through his prophet, through his word. Um, but they're refusing to listen to what God is telling them. Instead, trusting the work of their own hands, whether it's the gods they made or their own you know, politics and alliances that they're trying to make. Both of those are, um, are the uh, effects of them not trusting God, not having this heart knowledge of, of God, having forgotten the God who you know, brought them out of um, Egypt, the God who brought them through the wilderness, the God who has shown his faithfulness to them again and again. And rather than turning to that God, they're turning to, you know, again, the things they can see and touch. And they're like, well, this is real, and that, that's not. So um, uh, as we close, I mean, again, all of this is uh, hopefully sobering. <laughs> Um, there is good news in Jeremiah, <laughs> not right here, <laughs> um, but it's coming. <laughs> hang in uh, for a long time, uh, hang in. Um, but, it, you know, this should be um, a sobering wake-up call for us to not be self-deceivers. Um, you know, not to be those who say, well, I'm clean, um, you know, when we're blood, you know, we're wearing blood-stained robes too, whether we acknowledge it or not. You know, it's that, that idea that we are part of a sinful society, a sinful culture. We ourselves are sinful, and we need to repent and turn to the God who, who made us and who has delivered us, who saved us uh, in Jesus Christ. So let me close our time in prayer. Gracious God, we uh, do confess that we um, uh, spend so much of our time and energy in pursuit of, of worthless things. Um, and we turn away from you, uh, the God of glory and the God of all worth. Uh, give us repentant hearts, um, hearts that uh, help us and, uh, uh, to, to live um, according to the laws that you've given us. Um, give us uh, eyes to see our sinfulness, um, but uh, give us hearts willing to, to turn away from sin and turn toward you. And most of all, to find uh, redemption, uh, knowing that um, we can never clean ourselves. No, no amount of scrubbing uh, can erase um, the stain of sin upon us. Uh, but Christ uh, has washed that stain through his blood and has clothed us with uh, his pure white robes of righteousness. So help us to um, have faith and trust in him, uh, the only hope of our deliverance from sin and death. And it's in his name that we pray, and it's in his name that we'll gather here in the next hour uh, to worship. And we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit. Amen.